welcome to Supposedly. I'm Rue. I'm Jesse, and we're going to tell you about some creepy fun things today. Right, Rue? Heck yeah. I feel like I sounded like Scooby-Doo there. Right, Rue? <laughs> Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. Right, Rue? Ruh-roh. <laughs> there you go. Ruh-roh. Uh, there you go. All right, well, we'll just tell you some creepy fun paranormal true crimey stuff then. So I believe you're going first today. What are you going to tell me about? I am going to tell you something a little spooky and something a little historical and something that I'm almost sure you don't know about. Okay, I'm going to tell you exactly the same thing, except maybe a little less creepy. Okay, I'm very excited. All right, so tonight we are talking about Thomas Edison, Ghost Hunter. I am so into this. Okay. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. So Thomas Alva Edison was born in 1847 and has gone down in history as one of the United States' greatest inventors. Although that actually may not be the case as he kind of claimed patents for other designs as his. Yeah, he a was lot a of people, dick. Yeah, a lot of people in the invention community thought he was just a total douche. But there was an invention of his that has mostly been forgotten by time, and that is his spirit communication device. I am so into this. Was it like a spirit box? Well, we're in the 1800s, so I mean, slow your roll there. It's not quite as evolved as what we've got now. But it could be considered the great-great-granddaddy of the spirit box, I suppose. I like it. Okay. So we found our way back into spiritualism, and Edison was not able to slip free of its enticing clutches. So during this time period, everyone's doing seances, Harry Houdini's doing his thing, people are obsessed with the macabre and odysseys, odysseys, oddities and curiosities. Um, And even Thomas Edison got himself kind of wrapped into it. To understand the significance of his invention, we have to talk a little bit about the rivalry between Edison and Nikola Tesla. I'm a Tesla girl. I root for Tesla in all things in this. Okay, cool. I'm just, I was wondering if we were going to have a battle royale today. (laughs) You for Edison, me for Tesla, throw down. Not at all. Edison can rot. It's fine. Uh, So in 1882, Tesla was working for the Continental Edison Company, or Con Ed, in Paris and received recommendation from his boss to go work in America. Once he got there, Edison wasn't super impressed by him and said that his ideas were, quote, splendid but utterly impractical. They end up fighting this epic battle for which type of current would be the leading electric method for the United States, with Tesla pushing for the alternating current and Edison campaigning for the direct current. Spoiler alert, our boy Tesla won. Yay! Go Nikola! Yay! So, Tesla began experimenting in the early 1900s with creating a crystal radio powered by electromagnetic waves. So what is a crystal radio? Is that a radio with crystal components, much like the hard drives that computers have? Or is that just a fancy word for some sort of radio thing? Well, I wanted it to be like he was using like rose quartz to communicate with the dead, but it's actually more just like in a mason jar. (laughs) What? Yeah, it's kind of just a radio that's housed in a jar. And I think it's something to do with the crystal or the glass is conductive. I don't know. Maybe it's like a crystal jar, like Swarovski or, you know. Right. 
I, I still wanted it to be like selenite. <laughs> I remember my mom had crystal glasses growing up that were very, mm-hmm. very fancy. So I'm wondering if it's like a jar made of that. Yeah, pretty much. But there are modern tutorials online to make your own crystal radio for about 30 bucks. Could you make a crystal radio spirit box communicator? Well, so here we go. Okay. Tesla said in his diary that once he got his contraption going, quote, my first observations positively terrified me as there was present in them something mysterious, not to say supernatural, and I was alone in my laboratory at night. So I do love that this man of science is just straight up said, I was scared because I was alone. Something was weird, but I was alone. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah. 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 But he was like, I'm scared. It's okay, but I'm scared. You know what, Edison? Maybe it's the ghost of your karma. Well, this is this is Tesla right now. Oh, so. okay. Well, never mind. Tesla's chill. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1918, Tesla was trying to figure out how to improve this creation and said this of what he found. Quote, The sounds I am listening to every night at first appear to be human voices conversing back and forth in a language I cannot understand. I find it difficult to imagine that I am actually hearing real voices from people not of this planet. There must be a more simple explanation that has so far eluded me. So he thought he was talking to aliens, kinda. I want to know what he was hearing. Well, so in addition to these tutorials, you can find people who've made crystal radios online and they have uploaded them to YouTube. And it's it's pretty terrifying. So I listened to a couple of them and they kind of sound like the baby monitor aliens from the movie Signs. Fair. Okay. It's, I can picture it's that. It's kind of a warbly, clicky, whining sound. Huh. If you want to try and imitate that, I would love to hear your best go. I would have to hear it to be able to imitate it. Oh, okay. Also, I really really struggle with the word, what'd you just say? The I word, imitate. Imitate? Yeah. For some reason, my brain has never been able to, like, say that word correctly unless I immediately hear it beforehand. It's like the one word my brain doesn't, like, get. (laughs) So, in other words, you have to imitate the word imitate? I have to imitate the word imitate, yeah. You're so cute. You're like, uh, in Finding Nemo when Nemo can't say anemone. I have to really work on it. Like, I have to focus on imitate a lot harder than any other word. I don't know why my brain just has a blank spot there. I get that. No shame in the game. All right. So he's hearing these weird kind of almost conversational sounds. And he's still like, I'm pretty scared alone in my lab at night. All right. Let's table that for a minute. And go back to this long-standing rivalry between him and Edison. So Edison gets wind that Tesla is trying to contact the dead or aliens or something. And never (laughs) wants to be far from the excitement he wants in. I like how his first go-to is, I want in, not I want to discredit this man for being crazy. Yeah, no, he's like, wait, why don't the aliens want to talk to me? I must must defeat Tesla. The aliens must be my best friend now. Where there is innovation, there is Edison. And where there is Edison, there is Alien. (laughs) So he was actually pretty well known for being a critic of this trend of seances during the era. And he was also a known agnostic and skeptic. So it seems like he just really wanted to try and beat Tesla or just to make it known that Tesla was a fool. So either he was like, hold on, wait, now that ghosts might be real, I'm down. Or... 
Ghosts are so not real and Tesla's so dumb. Ha ha, dummy, dumb, dumb. Ghosts are stupid and you are too. Okay, so he's playing both sides of that (laughs) then. Yeah, 100%. He just wants to show that he's better. If they don't like me, they're stupid. Exactly. Right. Yeah. What an ego. I know. In 1920, Edison told the American Magazine, back when it was just the American Magazine, I was like, like, people, like the Inquirer, it's just, no, this one's just for America. You get one. They just, you get one. Yep. It's the American Magazine. So he told the American Magazine, I have been at work for some time building an apparatus to see if it is possible for personalities which have left this earth to communicate with us. This device would later be known as the Spirit Phone. Ring, 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 spirit phone. I think we know different versions of that song because we did not sing the same doo 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 at the end. No. Nope. What? Nope. I know, like a doo 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 doo. What? No, that's not how it goes. Oh, okay. Well, is this okay. our rivalry? Is this going to be the moment that we have our Edison Tesla split is over the banana phone song? I. You might call it a banana split. Oh, um, but I'm... Yeah. All right. Well, we're just going to slide okay. on past that one like we're in <laughs> Mario Kart, because I can't. To get started on designs for the spirit phone... Do-do-do-do. Edison. phone. <laughs> Edison started combing through Einstein's work on quantum entanglement and special relativity. And, you know, like you do, these are terms for things that really scientifically inclined people understand. But from what I could figure out, quantum, (laughs) (laughs) I am not her. She is not me. Uh, We all remember my Fermi paradox episode. Okay, I do my best, but my best is not much. I I just love it. I'm here for it. All right. So supposedly quantum entanglement has to do with two pieces of information that rely on each other to paint a complete picture. But then my brain leaked out of my ears. Okay. Um, Say that one more time. Okay. So quantum entanglement has to do with two pieces of information that rely on each other to paint a complete picture. So I think it's essentially like when we deal with quantum shit, it's, It's stuff that's kind of paradoxical, kind of outside the realm of normal understanding. And so quantum entanglement is like, in order for this to exist, this has to be this way. Question. I probably can't answer it, but let's both sound less than intelligent together. I want to step back and not ask the question now, because now I feel like I just, I don't want to be dumb with you. I'd like to be dumb. In my own right. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm announcing how dumb I am right now. So please join the party. What do you got? Okay. So two complete different, two different pieces of information that can, that paint a complete story, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's the cat in the box thing? That is Schrodinger's um, cat. Yeah. No, I thought, so Schrodinger, okay. Oh, Pavlov's dog, Schrodinger's cat, right? Okay. So Schrodinger's cat, would that technically kind of count? Because you have two pieces of information there. I think technically, yeah, maybe. Um, Hold on. What about in movies when they do the scene where they've broken up the whole gang and they're interviewing everybody separately and everybody has a separate story, but when put together, it kind of makes one? Um, I think that's just being a bad liar. Hold on. I'm trying to look something up to see if they have like an edible little example so um oh okay so it's the lack of independence so in and i'm getting this from wired.com 
In quantum theory, states are... like my dis- last relationship. <laughs> wow. Uh, in quantum theory, okay. states are described by mathematical object- objects called wave functions. The rules connecting wave functions to physical probabilities introduce very interesting complications, as we will discuss. But the central concept of entangled knowledge, which we have seen already for classical probabilities, carries over. So it's essentially saying... They're giving an example that almost looks like a Punnett square, and it's saying if there are circular objects and square objects, and you break it up into like a a Punnett square type grid, you have a specific chance of getting two circles, a specific chance of getting two squares, and a specific chance of getting each direction like a square, then a circle, or a circle, then a square. Look, I'm sure that means something to someone out there, but... Let's go back to the ghosts, because my brain hurts. Okay. Yeah, without the, the pictures, I'm, I don't know. You might as well be throwing spaghetti I, at a wall. It's just going to fall off unless it's prepared correctly. Actually, over-prepared. Did you know that if you throw spaghetti at a wall and it sticks, it means that you've cooked it too long and the gluten's releasing and acting like a paste against the wall? I don't know. I just taste it, and I work with it as I go. I like really al dente pasta, but tell me about the ghosts. Okay. <laughs> we are. Struggling to stay on topic, because like I said, my my brain kind of just turned into soup at that point. I watched a couple of videos because I was like, I have to tell Jesse what this means. And I was like, I'm going to tell Jesse that smart people understand this. And then we had a whole conversation about not being smart people. Um, Okay. You know what? That's good enough for me. <laughs> there you go. So Edison used this information that he apparently understood. So he might have been an asshole, but at least he was clever enough to understand quantum physics. And he used that to generate a theory that if it is possible to convert mass into energy, that when humans stop having mass, they could convert to energy. Or ghosts. I feel like that makes sense. I mean, right? So, like, if you burn wood, it turns into energy, it turns into heat, and then the the physical mass is gone. It's just, you know, soot. So, I mean, yeah, by, by that logic, I don't see why when our meat sacks expire, that wouldn't <laughs> be the same. Fair. Apparently, in addition to being a rival of Tesla's, Edison was also a rival of Harry Houdini, who thought that anyone who played into spiritualism was a sham and deserved no respect. Houdini was also pretty vocally claiming that he believed that Thomas Edison stole all of his plans from Tesla. So, like us, Harry Houdini is very much in the Team Tesla camp. You know what? I like Houdini. More and more that I learn about Houdini, he seems like a pretty cool guy. I I would have to agree. Um, And Thomas Edison was also kind of known as an anti-Semitic dude, which I think is probably part of why Harry Houdini didn't care for him especially. I mean, fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't care for him knowing that he's anti-Semitic. So armed with the prototype of the spirit phone, Edison decided to invite scientists and mediums over for an experiment. He had set up a projector which emitted a tiny stream of light on a photoelectric cell. The idea was that if something passed through the light, it would disturb the beam and they would be able to recognize it even if it hadn't been detectable to the naked eye. So he was essentially trying to, it's similar to like um, the scatter plot light grids that modern ghost hunters will use to see if something disturbs the plot. Um, yeah, basically the concept behind that is you'll have a laser grid that looks like a piece of graph paper or something like that, but in laser form. And the thought process is if an anomaly crosses in front of the laser grid, uh, the lines become a little warped and you're easier to track the movement. Um, these same laser grids are used when you're using a um, a trigger object. You'll put it around your trigger trigger object to show if your trigger object has been disturbed or moved at all as well. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so he set up basically the prototype of the laser grid, and then nothing happened. And pretty much both the scientists and the mediums that he invited over agreed on at least that much. They're like, yep, that was pretty lame. <laughs> and so Edison went back to the drawing board and continued working on the device even after his own death in 1931. So he'd made an agreement with his engineer, William Walter Dinwiddie, that whichever one of them died first would try and haunt the other. Dinwiddie died in 1920, right as Edison began his experiments, which leads me to wonder if he just missed his friend. Oh, you know, everybody's got to have a, a beyond buddy. You're my beyond buddy. We oh, have yeah. a, a system set up in case one of us passes how we're going to contact the other. I'd haunt the shit out of you. I would haunt the shit out of you. Apparently, somewhere Edison's ghost is still trying to figure out how to make contact. And then after he died, so this is interesting. It's apparently where he was able to make that come to fruition. He supposedly stuck around and was known to haunt places, even reaching out to a group of researchers during a seance in 1941 when he shared the plans for the spirit phone with them. The group did build the device based off of his plans, but it yielded no more results than the ones he'd built when he was alive. So even beyond the grave, he's like trying to think it out and he still didn't really get it right? Pretty much, yeah. Which, I mean... (laughs) That's that's Edison for you. So that is the right. story of Thomas Edison, the ghost hunter, which is really just Thomas Edison still hates Nikola Tesla part two. I'm sure we're going to have many parts of that saga, too, as we continue on. Because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you don't actually give a shit about ghosts. You just hate Tesla so much that you can't let him have a dub. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So there you go. Well, that was very cool. Thanks. What did you bring? Well, today I'm going to tell you about a son of a gun. Oh, okay. Actually, I'm going to tell you about the origin of the phrase son of a gun. Oh, I love stuff like this. Yeah, I thought you would like this one. And I really hope you haven't heard it because it was new to me this week and I freaking loved it. Okay. I'm ready. But before I tell you about that, we're going to talk about Dr. Captain L.G. Capers. So he was born in Charleston, South Carolina in 1834, and he practiced as a ship physician at sea. He even served in the Confederate Medical Service, which is where this story comes from. Okay. So it's the Civil War, right? Mm-hmm. Not a great time. Dr. Captain L.G. Capers, who I'm just going to call Dr. Captain from this point because I like the sound of that. And, like, is that redundant? Is his first name Captain? Or is he both a doctor and a captain? What's what's going on? This is how it was listed on all of the sources I saw. So I'm just going to roll with it. And he's all just right. going to be Dr. Captain. I love it. Yeah. So Dr. Captain L.G. Capers was a field surgeon at the time. And he was serving at a skirmish in a small Virginia village on May 12, 1863. Mm-hmm. As Capers recalls in an article featured in the American Medical Weekly, not to be confused with the American magazine. <laughs> On November 7th, 1874, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote his article here because I, I want you to, guys to hear this story from his own words since those are available. Sweet. On the 12th day of May, 1863, the Battle of R was fought. Our men were fighting nobly, but pressed by superior numbers had gradually fallen to within 150 yards of the house. My position, being near my regiment, suddenly beheld a noble, gallant young friend as he staggered closer and then fell to the earth. In the same moment, a piercing scream from the house reached my ear. 
this is where I'm going to deviate for a second and tell you kind of about what the setup looks like here. Okay. So this battle, this skirmish, not really a battle, is being fought in this field, and there's a home kind of off to the side that was occupied by some civilians. And by civilians, I mean one civilian family, a woman and a couple of daughters. They didn't mention the husband, but I assume he was fighting in the battles, either mm-hmm. in that particular skirmish or in a different one. Gotcha. So let's let's hear from Dr. Captain. What happened? Quote, Suddenly I beheld a noble, gallant young friend staggering closer, and then fall to the earth. And the same moment a piercing scream from the house reached my ear. I was soon by the side of the young man, and upon examination found a compound fracture with extensive damage to the left tibia. The ball having ricocheted from these parts, and then it's on its onward flight, passed through the scrotum, carrying away the left testicle. No. Scarcely had I... Yep. So basically what he's saying here is that the man was shot with a a what they call a mini ball. Mm -hmm. And it shot through his leg, through the left tibia, and ricochets off the bone into his scrotum and carries away the left testicle. Listen, I don't have testicles, but my imaginary testicles are screaming in pain and discomfort right now. That is the worst sentence I've ever heard another human being utter. I know. It's pretty terrible. Yeah. So, I'll continue on. Scarcely had I finished dressing the wounds of this poor fellow when the ensemble matron came running to me in the greatest distress, begging me to go to one of her daughters, who she informed me had been badly wounded a few minutes before. So, basically, the mother... Um, who's in this house, comes running out and finds the doctor. She's in great distress. She says her daughter's been wounded. Her daughter needs help. Do you have time to see to her daughter? Mm -hmm. She hastens me to the house. There I found the eldest of the young ladies had indeed received the most serious wound. A mini ball had penetrated the left abdominal parietes, about midway between the umbulus and arteriospinal process of the ilium, and was lost in the abdominal cavity, leaving a ragged wound behind. Let me help you out here, guys. Basically, a mini ball has penetrated the left side of her abdomen through her uterus, and it left a large ragged wound behind. Yuck. Yeah. Believing there was little or no hope of her recovery, I had only time to prescribe an oxidine. When our army fell back, leaving both field and village in the hands of the enemy. So he, this is a bad wound. They don't think she's going to recover from this. Um, I mean, it is an abdominal wound in the Civil War where you don't really have the process to, one, remove the mini ball, and two, to Mm -hmm. really cleanse the area properly so that it won't get affected. Yeah. So he gives her basically what is essentially a painkiller and Mm -hmm. leaves and hope that, you know. I mean, what else are you going to do? It'll make her comfortable, right? Yeah. About six months after her recovery, the movements of our army brought me again to the village of R, and I was again sent to see the young lady. He's very surprised at this point in time because he finds her alive, Mm. which was not expected. Right. She appeared in excellent health and in spirits, but her abdomen had become enormously enlarged, so much so to resemble a pregnancy of the Mm. seventh or eighth month. Indeed, had I not known the family and the facts of the abdominal wound, I should have so pronounced the case. So basically he's saying, if she hadn't been shot, I would have thought she was totally pregnant. Right. Right, because her abdomen's all swollen. So of course, in modern day times, we're thinking, oh no, there's a terrible infection, something's very badly wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Not the case. Under Under the above circumstances, I failed to give a positive diagnosis, determining to keep the case under surveillance. 
Just 278 days from the date of the receipt of the wound by Minnie Ball, I delivered the same young lady of a fine boy weighing eight pounds. Hmm. About three weeks from the date of this remarkable birth, I was called to see the child, the grandmother insisting there was something wrong about the genitals. Examination revealed an enlarged, swollen, sensitive scrotum containing the right side of a hard, roughened substance, evidently foreign. I decided to open, and upon operating for its removal, at once in doing so, extracted from the scrotum a mini-ball, mashed and battered as if it had met its flight in some hard, unyielding substance. No. Are you putting the pieces together? All of them. Whoa. Bottom line, the mini ball had wounded the soldier, ricocheting off of his femur, carrying his testicle away, and with it, some of his sperm. And when it exited his body, it slammed into the young woman's womb. The sperm then implanted, and the result was known as the mini ball pregnancy. Okay, hold, I'm so sorry. I, I guess I was thinking it was two separate people who got shot. They So his, his balls get shot, and then that piece of mini ball is still floating through the air and then this young woman just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and it ricochets into her it's the yeah. same oh i thought they were two yeah. separate charges oh shit no. wow okay one charge okay one that, charge i'm following you now <laughs> Holy Moses. So basically someone shot at the soldier. It burst through his leg, damaging the mini ball, carried away his scrotum on the way, um, tore through that, got some of the sperm on it, entered her wound um, in her stomach area, and impregnated her. Listen, this is like the American South Park retelling of the Jesus birth story. <laughs> That there soldier got shot, and then that there it impregnated her. It's a holy miracle. Yeah, so, so far, what do you think about this? I'm amazed, and it's also very convenient if that is not how this immaculate conception occurred. But holy shit! Right? Right? Okay, so the first thing that I started thinking about is, well, either this girl was really lucky, and she had had some unprotected sex with maybe one of the guys, one of the infantrymen that were involved in the skirmish. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that had occurred, and then she just ended up getting shot and was able to use that to cover her her situation. Yeah, her, her mom. Do we know her name? We don't. He yeah. left uh, the the, okay, the people so. in the article anonymous. Yeah, yeah her, her mother's just like Matilda. What have I told you about how babies are made? And she's like, No, mom, you don't understand. I was shot. <laughs> she's like, I don't care what you kids are calling it these days. It's also reported that the baby bore a very strong resemblance to the young man who lost his testicle. And in some follow-up articles that were released after, it even goes on to say that the man was so taken with this woman afterwards that he decides to marry her because it's kind of like an act of God. Wow. Yeah. But Civil War drumroll, please. I don't know. I assume it's a... That's pretty good. Okay. That's better than I thought you were. <laughs> you know me and my sound effects. <laughs> the story is, in fact, completely false. Oh. Okay. Okay. This is said to be one of the origins for the phrase, son of a gun. Mm-hmm. So the claim for this miraculous bullet pregnancy originated in an article that was printed as a joke in the journal The American Medical Weekly on the 7th of November, 1847. Okay. So why are we still hearing about this today? And it's still very much toted as factual. Mm-hmm. 
Well, the article was originally entitled, Attention Gynecologist, Notes from the Diary of a Field Hospital Surgeon, CSA, appearing under the name L.G. Capers, M.D., Vicksburg, Massachusetts, right? Uh-huh. But once it had been published, it kind of got away, in the sense that people started picking it up. Other publications began running it wildly. Needless to say, in Civil War times, this thing kind of went viral. Right. So much so that a few weeks after following the publication of the original 1874 article, editors had to release a statement acknowledging that the whole thing had been a jest. And here's how they did that. They said, quote, Dr. L.G. Capers of Vicksburg, Massachusetts, disclaims responsibility of the truth of the remarkable case of impregnation by Miniball. As reported in dot 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 this journal. Uh-huh. He tells the story as it was told to him. He does not say it is untrue, but is disposed to remind people to remember the truth of the old adage that accidents may happen in even the best regulated families. Oh, okay. The joke is that the doctor reported the case without any signature. Mm. So like I said, after it's published, it just takes off. It's published in many journals and books, and the article is cited as fact without anybody checking the original source or realizing that it was a joke at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think you really would realize it was a joke unless you were a doctor in that time period, too. The fact that he didn't sign it was a huge indication that it was a heh you know, kind of a nod right. to it's fake, right? Yeah. But the story even continues to be passed down. Let me tell you some of the places the story has even appeared. Okay. Okay. It has appeared in the highly respected British medical journal, The Lancet, who reprinted original parts of the article. And in 1890, 1896, The Lancet piece was cited as a footnote in a book called Anomalies and Curiosities of Medicine. So it starts gaining more traction and fresh traction. And even an influential 1959 article in the New York State Journal of Medicine hmm. mentions it. From there on, it becomes cited as this documented case of fact. Right. And it's mentioned everywhere, from American Heritage Magazine to the highly popular Dear Abby comment. Really? Yep, even huh. Dear Abby talked about the miniball pregnancy. Interesting. And to this day, there are Civil War buffs who adamantly insist that the miniball pregnancy actually happened. Hmm. But it's kind of a shame that if it didn't, because if it had, the baby truly would have been the world's only son of a gun. I love that. But I bet you're still wondering, Jesse, you have not told me at all where the phrase son of a gun originated. Okay, tell me. All right, I'm going to tell you. Okay, the phrase originated as son of a military man. Uh-huh. That is a gun. The most commonly repeated version of this was kind of originated in the British Navy, who used to allow women to live on naval ships. Any child on board who, who was born who had uncertain paternity would be listed in the ship's log as a son of a gun. Uh-huh, okay. Not quite as cool as the mini-ball pregnancy, also known as the first case of artificial insemination. (sighs) Oh, man. Yeah. I just want to say, don't sign me up for mini-ball pregnancy. (laughs) Yeah, I am a test tube baby, and I'm very glad for my mother's sake that this was not my conception story. (laughs) So when you say you were a test tube baby, were you actually artificially inseminated in the lab? Uh, I was... (laughs) or were you like ordered out of a sperm bank and just shot up there you're gonna make me reveal my 90s lesbian family secrets uh i was artificially inseminated (laughs) in a ford festiva wait what (laughs) what (laughs) i mean that's kind of how straight people do it sometimes too but 
my mom's got a vial of baby goodness. Uh, baby goodness, okay. And from a friend or from a sperm bank or from like a donor? From a friend who was a donor. I mean, he he made a donation. And we are very <laughs> grateful. Uh, I owe my whole existence on it. Um, and then my mom was like, cool, let's just do the damn thing. And they pulled over and did the damn thing. They with pulled a- over? <laughs> it's like they couldn't wait to get home. Maybe they were worried, like, for the sperm's I think, quality. I think she was worried about how long it would last. Um, yeah. And... So yeah, they they did the damn thing, and apparently my mom like kind of rode slightly upside down on the way home to try and oh yeah, gravity keep it in yeah, there. but like yeah. not in a moving vehicle, maybe mom. <laughs> um, and that's the story of how I came to be. So, oh my god, I'm I so glad it. this is like the secret episode. Like you guys, our supposers out there, you really had to work for this one. I am so excited about this episode. You don't give this shit away for free. You don't get to know my lesbian birth story. I don't um, want it to be a since, secret episode. Since we're already here, I will say my mom was like a high key lesbian and had never had sex with a man. Okay. Um, and was very concerned that it would hurt when she got injected. She thought it would feel like acid. <laughs> And I can tell this story because it's about my dead mom, so she can't say shit about it. Have I ever told you? Okay, how my mom told me how babies are made? With a gun? No, so there's this book out there called Where Do I Come From? I'm not sure who it's by, but if you Google it, you can find it. It still is in publication, but it's a bunch of men who wrote this book called Where Did I Come From? Hmm. And they have these little cartoon characters. Well... In the end of the book, they're trying to explain ejaculation, right? Mm-hmm. And the best way they could describe that is that there's a buildup, kind of like when you need to sneeze. And then there's a release, and that's when the sperm comes out. So up okay. until about sex ed class in middle school, I didn't know that a man's penis didn't literally sneeze inside of you. Like, a chew. Oh, no. Yeah, that was quite the discovery. Like, I learned about that in health oh, class. Man. It's one of those things I'm like, so it doesn't sneeze? And then you're like, you, you whisper to your friend, does it sneeze? And she's like, what are you talking about? Does the penis sneeze? No. Yeah. Where did you get that? Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, man, that's good. No, I, my my weirdest penis thing is it, it took me so long to understand erections. Mm-hmm. And then it all made sense. I was like, no, 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 no. I get the sperm part. That's fine. I get the sex part. That's cool. But how does, like, how does it, how does it get in there? Because, like, I understood conceptually what a penis was. I think I'd seen, like, a baby penis on, like, a little cousin Uh or somebody who was getting a diaper changed. And I was just like, that doesn't seem like it would work, guys. Like, this is a... Did you think it kind of, like, slithered? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, there's a flaw in this design. And I'm sure my mom's gonna be like, yay, she's gonna be a lesbian too. Because <laughs> I was like, this this seems broken. And then I hit puberty and, you know, learned more in sex ed classes and stuff. And I was like, oh shit, that makes so much sense. See, I remember before my mom got me that book, 
you remember, I, I was raised by a single mom. I never saw, like, a brother or a cousin or a dad in the shower yeah. or anything like that. I was told that a penis had two balls. And for some reason in my mind, and uh-huh. a tip, and for some reason in my mind, that translated to it looks like a snowman, you know, with one big ball on the bottom, a smaller <laughs> ball on top, and a smaller ball than that. So I went through this weird, oh, like, shit. snowman drawing phase, trying to figure it out. I <laughs> see. Oh, so I was man. like, I don't get how this works. <laughs> That's why the whole town was sad when Frosty went away. That's probably the reason my mom went out and got me oh, the book, or man. I asked where babies come from. But also, I want to say, if you haven't Googled this book yet, Google this book, because it's pictures of... Um, I know I've seen it. Now that you've talked about it, I'm like, I've, I've, I thought it was a fever dream. I didn't know this existed off of Tumblr, but yes, I know exactly. It's very what you're body about. positive. Yeah. Um, it's not Love the it. type of people you would expect to see in a typical sex book, but you know, um. Well, I think maybe it needs to be more like family friendly because it's like a kid sex that. book, which is a weird publishing inquiry. It's like, hey, I'm gonna make a sex book for kids, and they're like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> But I don't know, because it almost feels weirder that way. Like, I feel like maybe if they would have pointed out with little boys and little girls first, or I don't know. I don't know how you do that. But three men did it, and yeah. the book is called Where Did I Come From? Go check that out. My mom put it away for me so that I can scar my future children with it. Don't think that's the approach I'm going to take, but, you know. Where did I come from? Where did I go? Where did I Hot come from? Joe. This penis just sneezed on my mom. <laughs> One-eyed Joe. <laughs> well, guys. Um. All right. That's uh probably gonna do it for us. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know that we can talk. Jesse used to draw snowman penises, and Rue was conceived in a Ford Fiesta. Was it the Ford Festiva? This is the nineties. Festiva. Okay, Festiva, baby. Can Can I ask just a couple more personal questions you don't want to answer on the podcast? <laughs> Please do. What did they put? What did they put the sperm in? Was it actually like a tube? Um, did they have a turkey baster? No, they actually went to like so at the pharmacy you can get like straight up syringes um for like I guess yeah. insulin um and then you just don't put the needle in so it was a straight up syringe just no needle obviously because holy fuck no thank you right yeah you know they actually have a device now to help couples that are struggling to conceive that is it's basically an adaptation on the syringe Mm -hmm. but it's got a curved tip and for some reason it like keeps the sperm better don't ask me why i know this i don't know since i hit 30 it's like google wants you to get pregnant at this point or they expect (laughs) that that's where you should be in your life so if you don't have any children already you're getting spammed with things like artificial insemination and surrogacy yeah, and, you just and like, things like that. Have you you op- you open your Google and you're like, I know for a fact the last thing I looked up was like this murder cold case, and it's like, have you looked into artificial insemination? And you're like, no, what the fuck? Why is this in my search history? I've never once Google. looked for this. Why Google? Why? I'm not trying to have a baby. Oh my god! And if you buy something off of a friend's baby registry, my god, you will be spammed for days with baby crap. Oh yeah, days. I could probably tell you the make and model of every car seat out there yep. just from turning on Facebook and seeing ads pop up. I yeah, I I work really hard to curate my what Zuckerberg knows about me. Just sometimes I just Google like. I would like to eat nachos. I don't want to be pregnant. Just to make sure that the Google bots out there know where I'm at in life. Oh, oh man. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have any more uh, invasive questions? I just wanted to know what they put it in. Oh, um, yeah. And, like, how they transported it. Did he just, like, hand off a condom? Did they... Did he put it in Tupperware? I think it was more a Tupperware situation. Okay. Did they give the Tupperware back? I like to think that maybe it was like an an empty cottage cheese container just to really set the mood. So then you'd be like 90% baby and like 10% cottage cheese remnants? Oh, fuck. I hate cottage cheese. (laughs) No. What what condiment do I... I want to be... I'm from Kansas City. I want to be a barbecue sauce baby. You want to be a barbecue sauce baby? (laughs) Yep. What what condiment condiment Jesse this is gold <laughs> condiment what ranch. condiment wait ra- okay it's I already like it. whitish you know the speckles are a little concerning I was born with freckles it works oh god <laughs> I'm white with freckles um, it's white with freckles this has to end. Thank you so much for joining us on this underground secret hidden treasure trove episode of... Supposedly. Oh shit, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SupposedlyPod, but please don't talk about anything you heard today. This is our little secret just between you and us. Shh, pinky promise us, guys. If you also have a story that you want us to cover that isn't, you know, snowman, penis, test tube, ranch bottle, barbecue, Ford, Fiesta, whatever it was... Um, email us at supposedlypod at gmail.com or you can fill out our form on supposedlypod.com. We'd love to have another listener's app. Send in those stories, guys. And um, and especially if you have a weird conception story, yeah. we would love to know that. Just mostly for our own morbid curiosity. We won't necessarily share it, but... Screw that. We're sharing it. Please tell me I'm not alone. We're gonna. Okay. And join us next time on Supposedly. supposedly.